thank God for another opportunity to be with you on today as we uh, minister on the, the word of God. And I'm going to ask you, as we get ready to uh, minister the word, to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, and we'll pray. And uh, today, I want to, I've been started talking about the family last week, and I want to talk a little bit today out of the Mother's Day celebration that we had. I want to talk about legacy lessons of outstanding women. Legacy lessons of outstanding women. Let's pray and then prepare our hearts for the word and get into the word. <clears throat> Father, we do just thank you for another opportunity to uh, minister your word on today. And, and uh, we thank you that your word is, uh, is alive and, and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We open up our hearts, our mind, our lives for you to invade us and to give us answers, uh, to empower us, to equip us, to train us, to teach us truths that will continue to transform our lives. We lift up our first son, the apostle to you. We thank you. You continue to, to bless them in every area, financially, in the business, in the ministry, in every area, Father. You continue to bless them. Bless everyone listening to your word today, Father, in the name of Jesus. Bless them physically. Bless them financially. Bless them relationally in every area. And we thank you again, Holy Spirit, what you're going to reveal to us today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. <clears throat> Praise God. Again, I'll ask you to open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to uh, start there. And again, I want to teach around uh, the Mother's Day theme and thought. Legacy lessons of outstanding women. <clears throat> Legacy lessons of outstanding women. Uh, just a review here in Genesis chapter 2 uh, in verse 7. Um, the thing that we mentioned before was that when God created mankind, the first thing he did was he gave man a job, a responsibility. And of course, uh, as women came on the scene as well, they shared in that responsibility. And so I was saying that we are designed, we are created uh, to work and to produce. Uh, he says in Genesis 1, uh, to be fruitful, uh, to multiply, replenish the earth. So he gives mankind a job to do. And so uh, part of our existence is to carry on the work. And I said the work for God. That's what we're about, <clears throat> doing the work for God. Here in uh, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, in Amplified, it says, Then the Lord formed, that is, created the body of man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being, an individual complete in body and spirit. And we lifted up that idea about being complete, being whole uh, as an individual uh, before going into a relationship, continuing in our, in our wholeness and our relationship with God, for him continuing to complete us, uh, to perfect us, and developing that relationship with God so that we can be a blessing to another human being. So here he says, the living being, an individual complete in body and spirit. And then verse eight says, and the Lord planted a garden oasis in the east in Eden, delight, land of happiness. And he put the man whom he had formed created there. 
in verse 9, and in that garden, the Lord caused to grow from the ground every tree that is desirable and uh, pleasing, to the, uh, pleasing to the sight and good, suitable, pleasant for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of experiential knowledge, recognition of the difference between good and evil. And then notice, skip down to verse 15. So the Lord God took the man he had made and settled him in the Garden of Eden, and notice this, to cultivate and to keep it. And so part of our, I believe, part of our preparation uh, for relationship is developing work habits, developing work skills, uh, employing ourselves or engaging ourselves in the work. And I'm saying that we're working for God. Everything that we do, we should have the mindset that we're doing it for God. We're doing our work for God. Uh, I had also mentioned in Luke 2 and 47 in the Amplified Classic, it says, all those who heard him talking about Jesus were astonished and overwhelmed and bewildered, uh, wondered at his intelligence and understanding and his replies. In verse 39, it said, he said to them, how is it that you have to look for me? Did you not see and know that it is necessary as a duty for me to be about my father's house and occupy about my father's business. And so uh, Jesus uh, said, I've, I've got work to do. I've got uh, things to engage in. I've got activities uh, to do. I must be about my father's business. I have an occupation and that's to be about my father's business. We also know that in the natural, uh, Jesus had learned uh, the trade of carpentry. And so he was engaged in work as our example. Uh, he was engaged in spiritual work as well as he had a natural work as well to do. And so again, uh, just emphasizing that it is important that we engage in work as a part of our development here on the earth. Uh, before we enter into a marriage relationship, uh, even, it's important as a part of our process that we reach that uh, stage of employment, that we grow uh, in, 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 in our work, in our work habits as well. Glory to God. And I talked about last time about even uh, the, the, uh, the concept of retirement. And you may not uh, be doing the same work you're doing uh, as you get older, but as long as there's health and strength, there's some work that we can do for God. And we said that there's, there's much work uh, that can be done for God. There's much work that needs to be done for God. And so as he gives us strength and ability, uh, we continue to work. And we talked about how Moses uh, was called in his 80s uh, to do a, a work for God and uh, to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And uh, of course, that was different from work he had been, done, had been doing earlier, um, but it was still an important work that he was doing from uh, 80 to about 120, that, that 40 year uh, stage of his life, um, he was he was still working for God. In Deuteronomy 34 and 7, uh, it said uh, Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. And so uh, we can we can have exercise faith that God continues to give us strength and health to continue to work for God. Hallelujah, and uh, not grow weak that he'll continue to, to strengthen us. And uh, uh, we'll just continue to serve God to our last breath. We'll continue to do 
all that we can for God until our last day in this serving God and serving in his kingdom, doing his work here on the earth, glory to God. So that was again, Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse seven, Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse seven, 34, that he was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone, glory to God. Hallelujah. Uh, I want to go on a little further as we're still in Genesis. Uh, the other point I want to bring out that I brought up before is that uh, as mankind is working, as he's working in partnership with God and living, we could say living in the realm of the word, Father God creates a help me to assist in the kingdom assignment. So again, as mankind is working or as man is working in partnership with Father God and living in the uh, confines of the word of God, Father God brings a help me to assist in his kingdom assignment. And so, and we'll talk about that more probably another time, but uh, he was he was working in partnership with God, which is what we established. But then also, as we said before, he's living in relationship with the word in the confines of the word. Out of that setting, Father God creates and brings a help me to assist him in his kingdom assignment. So here in Genesis chapter two and verse 18, it says, and this is amplified. Now the Lord God said, it is not good, beneficial for the man to be alone. I will make a helper, one who balances him, a counterpart who is suitable and complementary to him. So we talk about that, one who balances him. And we talk about when we come to the table in a marriage relationship, that each one brings their strength. Each spouse brings their strength to the table. He says, I'll make a helper, one who balances him, a counterpart, who is suitable and complimentary for him. Let me continue on, we'll say a little, uh, uh, something else here in just a moment. <clears throat> Verse 19, so the Lord God formed out of the ground every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was his name. So this was a part of, of his work as he was calling and naming uh, the animals. And in verse 20 says, and the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper that was suitable, a companion for him. So part of our relationship is, is for companionship. And then verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in that place. In verse 22, and the rib which the Lord had taken from the man, from the man he made, fashioned, formed into a woman. From the man he made, a fashion or formed into a woman, and he brought her and presented her to the man. And so God brings uh, bring this woman uh, to the man, and they, they uh, work together in the kingdom assignment. And so God, God makes him, makes this woman, and uh, he uh, makes this woman, and uh, we call a, a helper. So it talks about that being a helper. And so this helper is designed to aid or, or to help, uh, to surround, to protect, 
to ease or to relieve, to support. And so um, uh, the spouse and both spouses are there to support each other. They're there to relieve each other, to back each other, to serve each other. And then uh, notice here um, um, that uh, it was made for him in verse 18. It was um, the woman was made for him. Uh, and then it talks about the counterpart. And so uh, this is uh, the counterpart uh, of the male. So it's a female. And we talk about it's not uh, Steve, uh, Adam and Steve. It's Adam and Eve. Hallelujah. But he makes this, this help me, this counterpart. Uh, and, and it says here in Amplified, complementary. And so the spouses are designed to complement each other, to be complementary to each other, to support each other. And I want to add this, but not compete with each other. So there shouldn't be any competition in the marriage, but complementary complimenting each other in the marriage, each one doing their part and working together. Just like my hands are closing together instead of coming against each other, they're closing together. And so uh, the spouses are designed to complement each other. And that's what God is saying here, complement and suitable for each other. And so that's designed of marriage is that we are to work together. And we'll see that uh, as we continue uh, it, uh, as, as we go further, um, but we're, we're designed to complement each other and not compete with each other. Glory to God. That's the beauty of it. And it's, uh, it's unique because each one brings their own strengths and, and, and we may think that our strength is sufficient, but the way it's designed is God brings strengths to another person so that we can complement each other and not have a mindset of being better than the other where, where there's competition and there's fighting. And we talked about before where Jesus said, the kingdom divided against itself shall not stand. And so we want to capitalize on, on the strengths that God has put within each one, within the, the male and the female, and work together and build a beautiful family to please and to glorify God. Hallelujah. So again, it says the counterpart is suitable and complementary and they bring their strengths and their assets to the table. And then it also said to balance out. So they, they balance out the other. And then yet they both share the responsibilities. So again, it's complimentary, um, not competition. Hallelujah. I want to go now into uh, focusing in on more of women, outstanding women. And... Um, I'm going to look at it's, it's time, it's up, maybe up to four if we can. Um, and I'm talking about legacy lessons of outstanding women. And we'll just look at uh, some of the women here in the Bible. And the first one we'll look at is Hagar. If you go with me to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16, as I was meditating, um, these uh, women that we're going to look at with some ones that came to, came to mind and we're going to look at some lessons that we can learn. So some legacy lessons from these outstanding women. And uh, we're going to look at first uh, Hagar in Genesis chapter 16. I'm going to start at verse 15 in the Amplified Bible. And the point I want to bring out here is that uh, God 
blessed single parent. Hear that God blessed a single parent, a single unmarried parent. God bless a single unmarried parent. And God blesses single parents. And so just an encouragement that God can bless single parents. And let's look at what happened here in Genesis 16 and verse 15 in the Amplified Bible. <clears throat> uh, so Hagar gave birth to Abram's son, and Abram named his son to whom Hagar gave birth, Ishmael, God hears. <clears throat> and verse 16 says, Abram, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. And so here God blesses this, this single parent and Hagar gives birth to Abram's son. And, uh, and so again, God is blessing. Uh, Abraham uh, had a promise for a child and wanted a child. And at that point, Sarah had not had a child and he comes to Hagar and uh, she gives birth. And, uh, and we'll see further on how God blesses uh, this single parent. Go with me now to um, Genesis 17 and verse 18. Genesis 17 and verse 18. And the sub point I want to bring out here, as I'm still talking about how God blessed a single parent, is uh, here uh, a parent intercedes or prays for their child's destiny in God. And so a lesson that we can learn is that parents intercede or pray for their child's destiny in God. So we could say this is a call, this is an assignment for, for godly parents to pray, to intercede for your child's destiny in God. So notice here in Genesis 17 and, and verse 18, and this is Abraham who's interceding in this particular case. He says, and Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael, my firstborn, might live before you. So again, his destiny in God, he's praying, that he would live before God. And so parents in the family have a responsibility and obligation to intercede for their child's destiny in God. So again, verse 18, Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael, my firstborn, might live before you. Verse 19, but God said, no, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son indeed, and you shall name him Isaac, which means laughter, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. Verse 20, as for Ishmael, I have heard and listened to you. So it says, God said he heard and he listened and heard Abraham's prayer request, if you will. He says, I have heard and listened to you. Behold, I will bless him and will make him fruitful and will greatly multiply him through his descendants. He will be the father of 12 princes, chieftains, sheiks, and I will make him a great nation. So what, it, what an honor it is for, for parents uh, to, to, to pray and to intercede on behalf of their children, to pray for their destiny, to intercede for their destiny and their purpose in God. 
Hallelujah. To pray to intercede to clear the path so that the child can walk through the destiny. To clear the spiritual path so that child can, can walk through their destiny in God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, let me go a little further uh, as we're still looking at how God blessed a single uh, parent. Uh, if you go with me to uh, Genesis chapter 21, and I'm looking at verse 12, Genesis chapter 21 and verse 12. Uh, the sub point I want to bring out here as I talk about God uh, blesses uh, the single parent is that even if one parent does not provide for the child, the lesson we see that we can learn is stay in faith. Even if one parent does not provide for the child, stay in faith for Father God to provide. Hallelujah. Even if one of the parents does not provide for the child, or we could say if they neglect the child, Stay in faith for Father God to provide. And I put it here, he won't withhold. Hallelujah. He won't withhold. So here in Genesis chapter 21 and verse 12 and Amplified, it says, God said to Abraham, do not let it distress you because of Ishmael and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her and do what she asks. For your descendants will be named through Isaac. Verse 13. And I will make a nation of Ishmael, uh, the son of the maid, because he is your descendant. And then verse 14. So Abraham got up early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder and gave her the boy and sent her away. So he sends her away. And it says, and she left but lost her way, the Amplified says, and wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. And then in verse 15, when the water in the skin was all gone, Hagar abandoned the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him about a bow shot away, for she said, do not let me see the boy die didn't have sufficient provision. And as she sat down beside him, uh, she, as she sat down opposite him, she raised her voice and wept. Verse 17, God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid. Notice this, for God has heard the voice of the boy from where he is resting. Verse 18, get up help the boy up and hold him by the hand for I will make him a great nation. Verse 19, then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the empty skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Hallelujah. And so again, even if one of the parents uh, fails to provide, stay in faith for Father God to provide for, for the child. Even as a single parent, stay in faith for Father God to provide. He is a good father. Hallelujah. And then even though perhaps Abraham wanted to provide, but because of the conflict between Sarah and Hagar, and he had to send her away, send Hagar away, God tells Abraham that he will provide for the child. He'll provide for the child. And so stay in faith that God will provide 
for the children. So that's a lesson we can learn, even from a single parent, that God will provide. Hallelujah. Uh, another lesson that I want to bring out here is that uh, we're going to go down to verse 20, that uh, as a successful single parent, or let me say this, successful single parent help navigate their child to reach important, and we use the word important milestones. So as a single, as a successful single parent, help navigate the, your child to reach important life milestones. And so here's a, here's a successful single parent, here's a successful single woman. She helps, her, helps to navigate her child to reach important life milestones. And I call it like that, and really it's kind of summarized like the ABCs of life, the ABCs of life. So she helps him to reach these important life milestones and we'll call them the ABCs of life. So look with me here in Genesis 21 and verse 20. It says here, God was with Ishmael and he grew and developed and he lived in the wilderness and became an expert archer. Verse 21, he lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And so I'm calling this the ABCs of life or the ABC decisions of life. So in verse 20 says, God was with Ishmael and he grew and developed. And so one of the ABCs, or we can say A, is helping the child or being a part of developing or facilitating or navigating that child's relationship with God, with Father God. So notice here in verse 20, God was with Ishmael and he grew and developed. So not only did he grow naturally, but God was with Ishmael. So helping our children to nurture a relationship with Father God, helping them to connect with Father God as a successful woman or as a successful parent or even as a successful single parent. One of the important decisions that we can help our children to make is, is their relationship with God. And so it says, God was with Ishmael and he grew and developed. And then it goes on to say, he became, the Amplified says, an expert archer. So I'm saying A is a relationship with God. B is the child's life's work their life's work, helping to navigate them for their life's work or their life's career. So he was an expert archer. And so the mom, the single mom was a part of that process. I submit that she was a part of that process and helping him to become a single, uh, an expert archer. So again, A is relationship with God. B is the life's work or career. And then C, verse 21, uh, he lived in the wilderness of Paran, and notice here, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And so C would be uh, the life's mate, uh, uh, the person life's mate or their spouse. And so the ABC decisions, a relationship with God, helping them to get decision for relationship with God and uh, a lot of statistics talked about the earlier the child becomes born again, the more impact it has on their lives. 
uh, the more the more important it is, the older it is, the harder it is to give their lives to God. And so the earlier, as a child, if we can help children to develop a relationship with God, help them navigate that important decision, that's one of the major milestones to help them in life as now they walk in a relationship with Father God. And so relationship with God and then uh, 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 their life's work, their career, and then their life's mate helping them and praying with them in all three of these areas, the relationship with God, their life's work, and their life's mate helping them in those areas. Isaiah 54 and 13 says, in the King James, it says, and all thy children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be the peace of thy children. And so it's important uh, that we help them with a relationship with God. And then here it says in Isaiah 54, 13, our children be taught of the Lord and great shall be the peace of thy children. So that helps them with one of their most important decisions is to have a relationship with God and that relationship will bring peace into their lives, glory to God. And then again, uh, their, their, their career and their lives were praying and interceding that God would help them and guide them uh, in, those, in those particular areas, glory to God. And so uh, Hagar was one woman that was in, uh, important. There are some lessons that we can see that we can glean from her life. Now go with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. We'll talk about a, a second woman here uh, and a legacy uh, that this outstanding woman has. And this is, is what I'm calling the widow woman. And in 2 Kings chapter 4, we're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1 in the Amplified Bible. And uh, the point I want to bring out here is that our pro prophetic faith partnership with God makes supernatural resources available. Our prophetic faith relationship, our faith partnership with God makes supernatural resources available. So notice here in 2 Kings chapter 4 in Amplified in verse 1, <clears throat> It says, now one of the wives of a man of the sons of the prophet in the, in the Amplified Bible, sons of the prophet, cried out to Elisha for help, saying, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant reverently feared the Lord. But the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves in payment for a loan. Verse 2, Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have? And the Amplified says, what do you have of value in the house? She said, your maidservant has nothing in the house except a small jar of olive oil. Verse three, then he said, go borrow containers from all your neighbors, empty containers, and not just a few. And so, a lesson that we learn from this widow woman is that she 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 goes and, and and complies with that. She's in faith partnership with God, and uh, this is making supernatural resources available. Uh, this 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 widowed single parent, and so here's another single parent. This widowed si single parent gets a prophetic plan to get her out of debt. Glory to God. She has a faith partnership with God. And uh, this God 
makes supernatural resources available. She gets this plan, prophetic plan to get her out of debt. And um, he says, uh, what do you have of value in your house? Verse two. And so a lesson that we learn as we look at this is that God starts with what she already has to work with. What do you already have in your house? So God starts with what's already available and he adds to what's already available. He adds the super to her natural, hallelujah. So what does she already have available? What does she already have to work with? And so even the lesson that we can learn, what do we already have available? What does God have to work with in our lives? What does he have? What do we have that he could put his super on? Hallelujah. To increase resources for us. Hallelujah. What is what what do we already have that we can operate in? What do we have that uh, we can perform or succeed or get results in? What do we already have? Enter into that faith prophetic partnership with God who can make supernatural resources available. Glory to God. And then um, verse four of 2 Kings chapter four, the point I want to bring out here is that the children or the family work together. Uh, they work together to accomplish this, this, this business. They work together as a family business. So notice here in 2 Kings four and four it says, then you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour out the oil you have into all these containers and you shall set aside one when it is full. And so uh, she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They were bringing her the containers as she poured the oil. So the sons were working with her. Verse six, when the containers were all full, she said to her son, bring me another container. And he said to her, there is not a one left. Then the oil stopped. And it says in Amplified, stop multiplying. Then she came and told the man of God, he said, go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. And so the children were working together. So again, it's, it's, it's so important that the family works together, that the spouse work together. And in this case, it's a single parent, widowed woman, and they work together, the children work together with the parent, and they, they uh, produce a family business, glory to God. They, they have a, a family occupation and this brings him out of debt. And then it says, he, he says in verse seven, pay your debt and you and your sons can live on the rest. So it's, it's, it's crucial that families work together, single families work together, everybody work together to accomplish the plan of God, the prophetic plan of God, the purpose of God, hallelujah. And so uh, they went from, uh, a debt status to being debt free because they all worked together. They were all pouring, they were pouring the oil. They were, it, was, it was like a, a, a machine. They were all working together, uh, making it happen, come, making, the, making this uh, dream and this vision come to pass and making this business come to pass. And as a result, they got good results where they were able to get out of debt, become debt free and live on the rest. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 
Let's talk uh, a little bit further. Let's talk about another woman. Um, let's talk about Ruth here for a little bit. Let's talk about Ruth. And I'm going to ask you to go with me to uh, Ruth chapter 1. And we'll be in the Message Bible. Ruth chapter 1 and Message Bible start at verse 3. The point I want to bring out here is that uh, Ruth, a woman, was determined to help support her widowed mother-in-law. Uh, this woman, who was determined to help support her widowed woman-in-law, was blessed. And we'll see that as we go through this. This widowed woman who was determined to help support her widowed mother-in-law was blessed. In Ruth chapter 1, the message Bible starting in verse 3, it says, Elimelech died and Naomi was left, she and her two sons. The sons took Moabite wives. The name of the first was Opah, the second Ruth. They lived there in Moab for the next 10 years, but then the two brothers, Malan and Kilian died. Now the woman was left without either her young men or her husband. So she's a widow. And then we skip down to verse 15. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law is going back to live with her own people and gods. Go with her. So Naomi's trying to send them back. Say, I don't have any more sons. Uh, verse 16, message Bible. But Ruth said, don't force me to leave you. Don't make me go home. Where you go, I go. Where you live, I'll live. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you die, I'll die. And that's where I'll be buried. So help me God. Not even death itself is going to come between us. Verse uh, 18. When Naomi saw that Ruth had her heart set on going with her, she gave in, and the two of them traveled together to Bethlehem. So we're going to see that uh, Ruth was this woman. You can see it here. She was determined to help support her widowed mother-in-law. She said in verse 16, don't force me to leave you. Don't make me go home. She said, where you go, I'll go. Where you live, I'll live. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Whereas the other daughter, uh, went back to her own home, her own people, and it says, and, 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 and the gods there. And Naomi was trying to get Ruth to go as well. But Ruth said, no, I want to go with you. And verse uh, 18 and 19, Naomi saw that Ruth had it in her heart that she was going to go with her. And so Naomi gave in, and they went on in life together. Uh, I want to continue on in uh, Ruth chapter 2. In verse 1, look at that in the Master's Bible. And the point I want to bring out here is that uh, as a single woman, Ruth, she went out working to help another, in this case, uh, the widowed mother-in-law, the widowed mother-in-law. She went out to help another, and she was favorably noticed. So the single woman, she went out working, and we talked earlier about the importance of work for both spouses. And, and we talked about before about how our bodies are designed to work. Otherwise, they can atrophy, the muscles can atrophy. So it's important to go out and work. So 
so even though she's widow and the mother-in-law's widow, this single woman, this single, we can say eligible woman, went out to work to help another. And as a result, she was favorably noticed. So here in Ruth chapter two, the message Bible, verse one. So it happened that Naomi had a relative by marriage, a man prominent and rich, connected with Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. One day, Ruth the Moabite, foreigner, said to uh, Naomi, I'm going to work. I'm going out to glean among the sheaves, following uh, after some, some harvester who will treat me kindly. Naomi said, go ahead, dear daughter. And so she set out, verse 3, and started to glean, gleaning in the field, following in the wake of the harvesters. Eventually, she ended up in part of the field owned by Boaz, her father-in-law, Elimelech's relative. A little later, Boaz came out from Bethlehem, greeting his harvesters. God be with you, they replied, and God bless you. And, uh, and so here, uh, she goes out to work, and, uh, and as she's going out to work, there's, there's favor that comes on her as we continue to, to look at this. I want to look at verses 6 and 7 of Ruth chapter 2. Uh, the point I want to bring out here is that being a hard worker helps to identify a potential partner. Being a hard worker help them being identified as a potential partner. Here it says in verse uh, seven, it says, the foreman said, why that's the Moabite girl, the one who came with Naomi from the country of Moab. She asked permission, let me glean, she said, and gather among the sheaves uh, following after your harvesters. She's been, notice that she's been steady at it ever since from early morning until now without so much as a break. And so this was outstanding. So again, we're talking about the legacy of outstanding women. So uh, she, she's a steady, hard worker. And so a lesson that we can learn is that being a hard worker, using our gifts, the Bible says using our gifts can bring us before important people. So being a hard worker, being a, a vigorous worker, helped her in being identified as a potential, made as a potential partner. Her work, if you will, her work opened the door for her. Her outstanding work stood out and it opened the door for her. Hallelujah. Uh, as we continue on in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 10, <clears throat> the point I want to bring out here is that uh, a single person has a deep appreciation for the potential spouse. A single person has a deep appreciation for the potential spouse. Here in Matthew, uh, in, in uh, Ruth chapter two in the Message Bible, verse 10, it said, she dropped to her knees, then bowed her face to the ground. How does this happen that you, you should pick me out and treat me so kindly, me a foreigner? So she has this deep appreciation, verse 11 and 12 in the Message Bible. Boaz answered her, I've heard all about you. Heard, heard about the way you treated your mother-in-law after the death of her husband and how you left your father and mother in the land of your birth and have come to live among a bunch of total strangers. God reward you well for what you have done 
and with a generous bonus besides from God to whom you have come seeking protection under his wings. And so uh, the potential spouse was, was also aware of her, what I'm calling her selfless generosity, how she put her, her own interests aside and she is now supporting her mother-in-law, her widowed mother-in-law and working to provide for her. So her generosity is standing out. Her selfish generosity, her kindness is standing out. And it's, it's, it's being recognized. Hallelujah. If we go down to Ruth chapter 2 and verse 19, uh, the point I want to bring out here is that as a single, I'm talking about a single woman, but we're you know, talking about women, but this applies to single men or women. As a single, continue to live trusting in God's unchanging love for you and favor. As a single, continue to, to live trusting in God's unchanging love for you and favor. We can learn lessons from this. So here in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 19, it says, Naomi asked her, uh, where did you lean today? Who's filled? God bless whoever took such good care of you. Ruth told her mother-in-law, the man whom I work today, his name is Boaz, verse 20. Naomi said to her mother, uh, to her daughter-in-law, why God bless that, why God bless that man. God hasn't quite walked out on us after all. He still loves us in bad times as well as good. So continue to, to live trusting God, trusting God's unchanging love and favor. And it goes on and says, and Naomi went on, that man, Ruth, is one of our circle of covenant redeemers, a close relative of ours. So she says, Naomi recognizes God has not walked out on us. He, he still loves us. So as a single, and we can learn from single, uh, the single woman, as a single, continue to live trusting in God's unchanging love for you and, uh, and for his favor. Hallelujah. Go a little further now. Uh, talk about one more. Now time. Uh, Romans chapter 2 and verse 21. Uh, point I want to bring out here is that as a young single, listen to the counsel of, of, of the older or, or, or of elders. As a young single, it's important to listen to the counsel of elders. So here in Romans, uh, in Matthew chapter 2, in Message Bible, verse 21, it says, Ruth, the Moabitess said, well, listen to this. He also told me, stick with my workers until my harvesting is finished. In verse 21, Naomi said to Ruth, that's wonderful, dear daughter. Do that. You'll be safe in the company of his young, of his young women. No danger now of being raped in some stranger's field. Verse 23, so Ruth did it, it said. She stuck close to Boaz's uh, young women, gleaning in the fields daily until both the, the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she continued living with her mother-in-law. And uh, continued to listen to the elders, and they, they gave, uh, uh, this older woman gave guidance for being available for marriage, and uh, told her in Romans, in, in Matthew, uh, in, in uh, Ruth chapter three and verse three, 
uh, take a bath, put on perfume, dress in your nicest clothes, and go to the threshing floor. And don't let Boaz see you until he's finished eating and drinking, helping her to navigate herself, to be in position, to be available, uh, to be a marriage partner to, to Moaz, to Boaz. Uh, one other point I do want to bring out before I go to the next woman is um, that in Ruth 3 and verse 10, working in working with Father God in desiring marriage, it is important to maintain a reputation as a virtuous single. It is important to maintain a reputation, your reputation as a virtuous single. Here in uh, Ruth chapter 3 in the New Living Translation, uh, verse 10, it says, The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. In verse 11, now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary. And notice this, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. Hallelujah. So in working with God and desiring marriage, it is important to maintain your reputation or maintain a reputation as a virtuous single. So he says, your boy says, everyone in town knows that you are a, a virtuous woman. And uh, as they continue to progress and navigate, uh, Boaz married Ruth. But yet all the while, Ruth was trusting God with the advice of her counsel, uh, Naomi, trusting God in dealing with a potential spouse. So we can learn some lessons about an outstanding woman, uh, Ruth, and how she walked in faith, sold generosity to her widowed mother-in-law, and, and was uh, potentially put herself in a potential of, of being married again, of being remarried after becoming a widow. And so God navigated her step, gave her favor, and she married again. Uh, the, the last one I want to talk about as we're looking at the legacy lessons about standing women is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, the mother of Jesus. If you look with me in Luke chapter 1, in the New Living Translation, Luke uh, chapter 1, the New Living Translation. And the point I want to bring out here is that uh, she yielded to the Holy Spirit for what I call supernatural childbirth. This woman yielded to the Holy Spirit for what I call supernatural childbirth. Luke 1, New Living Translation, we'll start at verse 26. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a, a village in Galilee, verse 27, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Verse 28, Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Verse 29, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Verse 30, don't be afraid, Mary told the angel, the angel told her. You have found favor with God. 
you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Verse 34, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. Verse 35, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and will be called the Son of God. And then in the Message Bible, starting in verse 37, it says, nothing you see is impossible with God. And Mary said, yes, I see it all now. I'm the Lord's maid, ready to serve. Let it be with me, just as you say. Then the angel left her. So again, this woman yielded to the Holy Spirit for what I call supernatural childbirth. So it's important for women and for all of us to yield to the Holy Spirit for the assignment, for the destiny that he has for us. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Let's continue to look at the life of Mary. If you go with me to Luke chapter 2, uh, in verse 49, uh, another legacy lesson that we learned is that mothers treasure or store memories in their heart as they carry their child in life. Mothers treasure memories in their heart as they carry their child in life. Notice here in Luke 2 and 49, and we talked about this earlier uh, when Jesus was uh, about his father's business. In Luke 2 and 49, he says, and he answered, why do you have to look for me? Do you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Verse 50, but they did not understand what he had said to them. In verse 51, he went down to Nazareth with them and was continually submissive and obedient to them. And notice this, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. So as her child was growing up, she treasured these, these various memories in her heart. And so mothers treasure memories in their heart and as they carry their child in life, as they walk with their child uh, in life. Go with me a little further as we're tracking Mary and a couple more passages and we'll wrap up. Go with me to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 1. And uh, the point I want to bring out here, that's an important point, I believe, is that uh, mothers can provoke the God-given potential of their children. Mothers can provoke the God-given potential of their children. Hallelujah. Mothers can provoke the God-given potential of their children. So notice here in John chapter 2, the New Living Translation, verse 1. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Verse 2. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. <clears throat> verse 3. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Verse 4, dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. 
my time has not yet come. Verse five, notice this, but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. So she's creating an atmosphere for his potential, his God-given potential, for his God-given possibilities to come forth, for, for his abilities, his God-given abilities to come forth. So she's provoking. So even though he said, my time has not yet come, the mother told the servants, whatever he says, do it. The King James Version, I believe, says. Whatever he says, do it. So she's creating this atmosphere, whatever he says. So she's opening it up. She's opening up the possibilities. She's opening up the potentials. And so mothers can help stir and provoke the potentials in their children, can help stir up the possibilities, the abilities that God has put within the children. So she says, whatever he says to you, to do it. And then we skip down to verse 10. It says, uh, a host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has a lot to drink, he drinks, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you've kept the best wine till now. So they had this wine supply problem. And, and the mother says, whatever he says, tells the servants, whatever he says to do it. And he, he tells, he gives instructions to get the water pots and fill them up and to go and serve it to the head uh, master. And, and he says here, you save the best wine to last. And then in verse 11, it says, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples uh, believed in him. Hallelujah. And so she has to provoke uh, that, that, that miracle. Hallelujah. Helps provoke the potential that was already in him. Now go with me to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, begin to wrap up. John chapter 19, looking at legacy lessons of outstanding women, looking at here Mary now, the mother of Jesus. Uh, in John chapter 19 and verse 25, uh, the point I want to bring out here is that uh, the mother was, was present at the crucifixion, or we could say the mother was present at the darkest time of her child. The mother was present at the darkest time of her child. So notice here in John 19 and verse 25, it said, so the soldiers did these things. They, they crucified him. We talked before about all the punishment that he had gone through. Uh, again, verse 25, so the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother. So they did all these things, but standing by the cross, as they crucified, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother. And then it says, his mother's sister, Salome, I hadn't noticed that before, so I guess that would be Jesus's aunt, his mother's sister, Salome, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Verse 26, so Jesus, seeing his mother, while he's on the cross, seeing his mother, and the disciple whom he loved, esteemed, standing near, said to his mother, dear woman, look, here is your son. And then verse 27, then he said to his disciple, John, look, here is your mother. And then Amplified says, protect and provide for her. And it says, from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. So Jesus is providing for his mother. 
Uh, but the point here is that Jesus, uh, the mother, the mother was present at the darkest hour of her child. She did not forsake her child. She did not forsake her son. And we see, as we look through uh, the story of the crucifixion, that many of the disciples had, had forsaken Jesus, but the mother was there. She was there and it said here, standing by the cross in her son's darkest hour. She did not forsake her son. And so another legacy lesson as we can learn is that uh, mothers or women stand by the children, stay with the children, even in the darkest time, even in the most horrific time, stand by the children. Parents stand by the children, stand with them, even when others forsake them, stand with the children, believe in the children, stand by them, hallelujah. Then a last point, if we go with me to Acts chapter one, Acts chapter one is so looking at legacy lessons about standing women. Acts chapter one, and we'll look at verse 12 in the Master's Bible. As we're tracking Mary now, point I'm bringing out here is that uh, this mother was in the upper room praying, still pursuing the plan and promise of God. So this is after the crucifixion and the burial and the supernatural resurrection. <clears throat> this was days later, a few weeks later. This mother, we, we learned this lesson, this mother was in the upper room praying, still pursuing the plan and promise of God. So here in Acts chapter one, uh, starting at verse 12, the message of the Bible says, so they left the mountain called Olives and called the Mount of Olives and returned to Jerusalem. It was a little over a half a mile. They went to the upper room they had been using as a meeting place. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James, verse 14. They agreed they were in this for good. I like this in the, the message Bible. So they all agreed that they were in this for good. And it goes on to say, completely together in prayer. And it says, the women included. And it goes on to say, also Jesus's mother, Mary, and his brothers. So in that upper room, was not only those disciples, but Jesus's mother was there in that upper room and his brothers. And it goes on to say, uh, it, it says here in verse 14, they agreed that they were in this for good. And so they, they had gathered together in prayer. And so again, the point here, this mother, this woman was in the upper room praying, still pursuing God, what's your plan? What's your plan now for me? Still pursuing, what is your promise for me now? Still pursuing the, the plan and promise of God. This same Mary who said, be it unto me, according to your word, at, at the conception of Jesus, here on the post-resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, she's in this upper room over 30-something years later, over 33 years later, 
She is in this upper room still pursuing and, and, and praying for the plan and the promise of God. Hallelujah. And because she was there in that upper room during this time, and all this, this group of people, I believe it was 120, uh, that had gathered into this, this upper room, and since they were there praying during this time, they were there on the day of Pentecost when the, when the outpouring of the Spirit came. And those disciples were filled with the Spirit. And Jesus' mother, being in that upper room, was also filled with the Spirit. They were, she was in that upper room pursuing the plan and promise of God, just as she had at the conception of Jesus. And because she was there, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, and they were all gathered together in one place, in one accord, and suddenly, hallelujah, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came. She was there, and she was also filled with the Spirit of God. Glory to God. So as, uh, as a, a legacy lesson, continue to pursue the purpose and the plan of God. Hallelujah. Pursue the promises of God that he has for you. As a woman and even as a man, pursue the purposes of God. And the result is that God will fulfill his purpose and his plan as we partner with him. He'll continue to lead us and guide us into higher levels that he has for us. Hallelujah. So we thank God for the, the legacy that these women have, have provided lessons for us in all these various areas that we can apply to all of our lives. Let's close in prayer. Father, we do just thank you again for this time around your word. We thank you for the lessons and the focus here on today. Help us to apply these, these keys, these truths to our lives. Continue to pursue and to build a faith legacy in our generation as these women did, to build a faith legacy in our generation so that others can see the examples that we have and continue their journey with, with you, Father God. We thank you for it. Bless every listener here today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Amen. This time I'm giving an opportunity to, um, to give into the ministry.